everybody. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Lifeline Torah with Rabbi Yaakov Zirkind. Today, he's going to be discussing the golden calf and the implications surrounding that event. Today's study is to the merit of Kevin Frazier, Lakeisha Davis, Stacy Kinzer, Aaron Price, Al Catrone, John Koch, and to the merit of Dorothy Hart on her 81st birthday. We welcome you and stay tuned. Our talk is in progress. It's not about blackness. It's not about whiteness. But it's about we're all children of the Almighty God. We're all created in the image of God. And therefore, we have to appreciate the fact that, and we can accomplish anything we want, because after all, we are created in the image of God. I'm going to take a short break here just for a moment, and you guys can talk all to yourself. I have to take care of one thing. Okay, I'll be right back. Well, hello there. <laughs> that was funny. I didn't see that happening. All right. So uh, I will be interested to see if that, if he intends to tie that into last week's Parsha. Um, we were on the golden calf last week, correct? Yes. So, um, okay. We'll wait until he gets back. And are you talking? This is Mark here on the telephone. Are you talking about the recording that was made last week? Well, that was not live. No, um, I, I was oh, two just, weeks ago. Yeah, I was just talking about the Parsha. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. Did anyone get a chance to listen to the recorded, uh, recorded one last week? I'm just trying to. I, I know I did not. I no. Well, I'm just wondering, did I upload it? It's, there's the possibility maybe I did not. Yes, yes, you did. Oh, okay. Thanks, Mark. That's not a problem. I was, Hi, it was a discombobulated week. You know, but I didn't... Uh, this is, um, yeah. Uh, Mark here on the telephone. Remember, I'm the phone man, not the computer man. So I don't have any accessibility to anything like that. So okay. you get the idea. Yeah. That's why I was asking, what was the topic last week, which I did not hear live or anything like that? Well, we had, um, we talked about Purim, and if you want, I can, I can text you that, Mark. Hello, welcome back. Okay. Okay, welcome back. Okay, thank you. Sorry for the, for the interruption. <laughs> That's all right. But anyway, so here I am. Um, what was I up to? So, so that was the, the, the gist of what he was saying. And I thought that was powerful because, and it's important for this group as well to understand this. It doesn't matter what your faith is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It's really, we are all created in, in, in Hashem's image. And as such, we are His offspring metaphorically and we have that ability to accomplish anything we want the only thing and most of the times what what hinders us from doing what we want to accomplish is ourself so from with that i want to continue with the topic of the day and that is about 
the golden calf. So this past week we read, yesterday we read the story about how, sure you've all heard the story with the golden calf and that unfortunate thing that as, as the Talmud tells us that we today, to this day, are still paying for that um, it, um, sin. So the unfortunate thing is that we have to understand the whole, let's look at the whole story and I think we can get a better picture as to what happened. From the, from the start, we have to look at it. These people that were at the, at the, at the side of the mountain, they just saw godliness at the highest level. God came down from heaven and he spoke to everybody that was at the, at the mountainside. Okay, that was the greatest revelation, or the only revelation, that God has done on a national level. And we all saw it. But, unfortunately, we know, as we see this by the story of Samuel, that unfortunately what happens is sometimes we get a little carried away with great um, visions, great um, things happening. What happens? Take Samuel. With Samuel, when Samuel decided to create, have a king, make a king. And what happened? God punished him. Well, one second, you can say, well, does it say in the Torah that we have a commandment to, to we should set a king up in our community? So what was wrong with, why did Samuel get punished for wanting to have a king? But the answer was that when Samuel decided to have a king it was on his own volition it was on his own terms he wanted to be like the other nations of the world not because god commanded him to but rather he was you know i want to fit in the rest of the world you know we have the united nations and we want that everybody in the united nations should look at us as we're not strangers and we are doing everything so that we don't have to get any uh, any um any condemnations from the UN. So th I'm just using that as a metaphor for that back then. So that's what Samuel was doing. He wanted to be conformed to the rest of the world. They have a king, we have a king, but that's not what God wanted. God wanted us to have a king because he commanded us, had not with anybody else. And he was, he was punished for that. So what happens is when sometimes when we get at a high, we sometimes think of ourselves as, wow, I'm perfect. I can do it. I can achieve anything and I should do achieve anything. But no, only when we, when we, when Hashem tells us to, only then can we and should we. And that's what the same thing is when we look at, at what happened at the golden calf. It says that what happened, that Moses went up to the mountain and he was going to supposed to be back down 40 days later. And actually it was on the 39th day that they came to Aaron and said, you know, what happened to Moses? What happened to Moses? Let's make an, a, a, a something that will represent a leader of the Jewish people. And Aaron tried to push them off. What did he do? He says, you know what? Go ask your wife, your daughters, your children to give us the gold. He figured that by suggesting that the children should get involved, he figured the children are not going to, the wife, the wife is going to want to get rid of her gold for, the, for nonsense? Nah, well, women are not going to do this. And the children are not going to do this. And that, but fortunately, they came, um, um, unfortunately, they came through. 
and they brought all the gold. And now, what did they do? So, so he says, let's do, let's do tomorrow. Everything was it was a delay. That's it was delaying tactics. That was what Aaron was doing. But what it what was their goal? Let's think of what was their goal. Their goal was to create a leader like Moses. And the problem was that was, Moses was with God, and with God, God runs the the, the 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 show as to when and where and how and why things happen. Not we look at the numbers and we see like by Daniel, Daniel too, he got messed up with the seventy years. So we have to we have to look at it as that was where the initial failure came about by us deciding that it was the 39th, the 40th day, and it was he didn't come back, yeah, 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 all these kind of stories. But ultimately, it was, we wanted to create something on our, for ourselves. But that, this is God's time, in God's terms. And, and on those circumstances, we can't just take uh, the initiatives in our own hands. Okay, so what happens? So they make the calf, and God, Moses is up with God at this time. And what happens? God tells Moses, He says, "Moses, go down. Your your people, your people have sinned." One second, your people, Moses's people. What? It's not God's people anymore. But God kind of left them. He says, "You know what? If this is what these guys are doing, I don't want to have any part with them. Leave them alone. This is they're on their own." Okay, and this is, and that's why God says, "Go down, because your people." Now, as a leader, as a le- Moses was a leader, as a leader, he has to take responsibility for his people, literally, and that's what happened over there. He was, he was um, told that he should, he must go down because of their their sin. Now, Moses could have said, "Well, look, what, what do I have to go down for? I, 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 I believe you." I, you know, what are you sending me down for? But no, God wanted Moses to see it firsthand. God wanted him to experience what these people are going through. Why? Why is that? Why is that important? The importance is, over there is because you know you hear things, you hear things, you see, conjure up in your mind what exactly is going on, how is it going on, why is it going? On? You know, we conjure up all kinds of stories. But when you see it firsthand, it takes on a whole new story. And this is what God wanted Moses. I want you to go down and see it and experience it for yourself. And when he, when he did, what did he do? It says he dropped the Ten Commandments, the two, the two tablets. He dropped them. Why did he drop them? What right did he have to drop them? God gave this to him to give this to the Jewish people. What right did Moses have to take this initiative, quote unquote, on his own to go and break them? This is God. God gives you something to give it to somebody else. And what do you do? You break. You break it. Granted, um, granted that they were violating Hashem's law, but that's not the point. That doesn't that doesn't grant you the right to break it. Something that Hashem has given to you to give to these people. And this was a major a major um, 
you want to say mistake? No, it wasn't a mistake. In fact, Rashi, the commentator on, on, the, on the Torah, tells us that when he broke the, the, the commandments, God said to him, thank you for breaking it. Thank you for breaking it. Imagine that. Imagine that. God just, he never, he never before came down to this world in, in, any, in any way. He comes down and he gives us he gives us, can you hear us? Can you hear me still? Yes. Hello? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he comes down and he gives us the, the Ten Commandments, which <laughs> is the greatest revelation we've ever had. And he breaks the, 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 these commandments, these tablets. And God tells him, thank you. Something's, something's not right with this story. <laughs> right? So... So let's try and understand what's going on here. So what's going on here is like this. That we, as people, as a people, anybody, it has nothing to do with any religion or race or anything. It has nothing to do with that. As a people, we have laws that we must follow. Those laws are untenable. You cannot, we cannot change it for anything. Okay? Whether it's seven laws, uh, or 20 laws, or 613 laws, whatever it is, we have laws. And we have to abide by them. Now, what, what is the, 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 the sin or the, the tragedy of the golden calf? What was the tragedy? The tragedy is you know, it's one thing. It's one thing that they made it to the golden calf. Okay, that's one. That's one part of the problem. But more importantly, is that they were dancing around it. They did all kinds of uh, idol worship to it. Now, if the whole idea was to substitute a leader, which that was their claim, that we need, what happened to Moses, and we need a leader, right? So if that's what we're trying to substitute, did anybody dance before Moses? Did anybody worship Moses as an idol? No. So now what we're doing is we're taking this to a new level altogether. We're taking this that this Moses now becomes a god. Well, actually, interestingly enough, the term... We've discussed many times that words in the Hebrew, in the Torah, in the Hebrew language, are specific, and there's nothing random about it. And the the term used for God in this context, as we know that God has seven names that He has, but the term used over here is not the holiest name, which is the Yud Kevavke, which is the, 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 the name that we can't even pronounce, but rather it's Elohecha, Elohim. You remember Elohim? That word means a, a God. Or it also means, Elohim means a judge. You see that in, we see that in Exodus, that a, a, a judge may not curse, right? So these are these are the term Elohim Elohim 
is not necessarily God, although it's translated throughout pretty much as God. But when we use the name Elohim or any derivative of that, those words, Elohim, Elohecha, Eloheinu, these are all um, referring to a, it could be a natural, it could be a, 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 a lord of some sort. For example, we find, like I said, first of all, we find it by, it says, Elohim lo sekalel. You know, to curse a judge. The word Elohim is there, used over there. Or when it says you shouldn't worship other gods, what does it say? Elohim acherim. Why? Because it's, it's not a holy name for God, but rather it's it's a uh, it, it's a power name. It's a it's a natural name. The word Elohim actually is the numerical value is that of the Hebrew word of Hateva, which means nature. So this is how God is enclosed within nature. So whenever God is enclosed within nature, we'll use him. We'll use the name Elohim, and that's why. In the six days of creation, we see the name Elohim used rather than the holy name of Yudkevavke, because there he was enclosed within nature. He was creating a world with all kinds of natural things. So the name to be used over there was Elohim. Bereshis bara Elohim. That's the first word in Genesis. The f- First person Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So that word for God is Elohim, meaning, as I say, because it's a natural, it's, an, it's part of nature. So too, when it comes to when these people came to Moses, to Aaron, and said, "We want to create something that is Elohecha, our God." The word Elohecha is derivative of Elohim, Elokeinu. Though that same. Root word, okay, because it's referring to a power, quote unquote, rather than a god. And so now, what happens? They want to change the 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 idea of what a Moses is. Instead of being a leader, as just an ordinary leader, because nowhere else in the Torah is Moses referred to as Elohim. Alokecha, Alokeinu, and none of that. In fact, in Exodus, uh, God refers to Moses as my servant. You should have faith in God and in Moses, his servant, is what it says. So that's that's the highest level that he has ever, that's the highest level that he's ever made it to in, in the Torah. He is not even referred to as a prophet. He's not even referred to as a wise man. In fact, the only other thing, term that he's referred to is as he's the most humblest person of all men. Okay, but beyond that, so he's, we know that he's the humblest, humblest person, as well as he's my servant. God says. Well, let's look at other people in the in the Tanakh, in the in the in the, in the books of the scriptures. We find we'll start with Noah. Noah is the only person throughout the whole Tanakh that is referred to as a man, a righteous man, a complete man. Nobody has that title. Nobody has the title Tzaddik, a righteous man in the, in the Tanakh, except for Noah. 
And yet people in the times of Noah, uh, the, the commentaries on, on, on the portion debate whether Noah was so great after all. Okay? And my argument to that is, look, why are these commentators arguing about these people, whether Noah was a great person or not? God just gave him those three titles. Nobody else got that. Okay, so I'm just giving you an example of that. None of those titles were even attributed to Moses. And yet, these people wanted to make of Moses a god. That's what they said. Let us make us a god to lead us. Just as, he has, just as Moses has led us out of the land of Egypt, let us create a man, a god uh, that can, can uh, imitate that image. And that was the grave um, sin that they did. It's one thing, you want a leader. Granted, you want a leader. So what do you do? I mean, uh, think about this. Logically, a person wants a leader. What does he do? He says, you know what? Let me take some gold and throw it into a fire. Or actually, I'll make an image on the, on the ground of, of, of whatever I want. And I'll take this piece of gold and throw it in the fire. And whatever comes out, that's going to be my leader. Does that make any sense? It's kind of silly, if you ask me. If, if you, or if anybody thinking this through logically, it just doesn't make any sense. But as we know, the Talmud tells us that the path that a person wants to travel Hashem helps you, helps the person. You want to go down this path? I'll walk with you. I know it's the wrong path, but you want to go there? All right, fine, I'll help you out with that. So this is what they wanted. So Hashem said, okay, fine, let's go with it. I'll, I'll help you with this. But why did he do this? Why would Hashem allow such a thing to happen? I mean, this is like the most... Um, heinous crime that one could have done okay so we see what happened was let's let's go back in history so to begin at the beginning of time at the beginning of time um when god created the heaven and earth and, the, and on friday he created adam and from adam he created eve and he placed them in the garden of eden so at the time when god created the world the world was in a state of purity. It was absolutely pure. There was no blemishes whatsoever. After all, this is all God's handiwork. So no, and there was nobody there to mess up. Okay, until Adam came around. Okay, but until Adam came around, there was nobody there to mess up. The animals didn't mess up, except actually the trees were the first ones to violate God, actually, if you think about that. Because the, it says about the trees that the tree should taste like the fruit that it produces. And yet, there's only one tree out there that the fruit, that the tree tastes like this, its fruit. And you know which, fruit, which tree that is? That is the citron fruit tree the ethrog that we use on Sukkot that's the only tree that tastes that the bark of the tree tastes like the citron all the others they don't taste like the, like the fruit so really 
it was the trees that that screwed up first, not mankind. But we'll leave that for for a different discussion. Okay, but let's look at at the at the at what happened in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, well, they messed up. We know that. Everybody knows that story. In fact, um, to some people, this is like the cardinal sin that we are all so tainted with that we cannot get out of it. Okay, regardless of that, but nonetheless, the, everybody knows the fact that what happened in the Garden of Eden was a sin that had an effect on the whole world at that time. So that so we were in a state of purity, and right away, because we were so pure, boom, we couldn't we couldn't handle it for too long, and right away we screwed up and we became we um, violated God in the Garden of Eden. And as a result of that, since then, the generations have been degenerating. As we see that it says by the time of Noah came around, the world was full of robbery and, and stealing and all kinds of uh, nasty things were going on in the world at the time. And it was getting worse and worse until Abraham came around. Came Abraham, and what did he do? He started to bring in godliness into the world. Okay, brought godliness into the world. Then came Isaac and Jacob, those kids, and they were kind of getting up there in spirituality as a result of the, the four, our forefathers. Then, when it came the story of Joseph, there was a plateau at that point as well, because they were really at a high. And then, what they did to Joseph, the brothers. Now, in fact, the Talmud tells us about the ten martyrs, martyrs that were, that were killed, rabbis that were killed, and the excuse used was, "Look what your brother, your your forefathers have done to their brother Joseph." So, in other words, they're using that as an excuse to to uh, prosecute the Jews throughout the history. So we see, so plateaued by, by, by Joseph, because Joseph made it to be the king in, in Egypt, the second in command by Egypt, by Pharaoh. And so it plateaued over there. But then again, it failed because of what led to that. All right. Then we have, then the next thing was, so as a result of that, we were stuck in Egypt for 200 years. And God comes along and says, you know, I'm going to pluck you guys out of there because there's no way you're going to get out of there alone. I have to pluck you out of there. And he plucks them out of you, out of there. As it says, he did it himself. He did not send any angel. He didn't send any any uh, messenger. He did it on his own. Okay? So he did it on his own, and he pulled us out of there. For what purpose? To make us his subservient to him. To be subservient to God. So he gave us the Torah. He gave us the commandment. So we can connect with him. What is the word mitzvah? The word mitzvah also not only does it mean commandment, but it also has another meaning, and that is to connect. So when we do a mitzvah, we connect with God. So for example, when, when a, a, per, a Jewish person puts on tefillin in the morning, he's connecting to Hashem with those tefillin. Or if he's eating matzah on Passover night, 
He connects Hashem with the matzah that he's eating. So that's how we connect with Hashem. The Torah as well is also a form of connection because it says when a person sits and learns Torah, the Almighty God is sitting next to me at the time when I'm learning Torah and he's learning with me. So, which is the greatest revelation that a person can actually have with God, the relationship a person can have with God is that when he sits and learns Torah. And therefore, God at Mount Sinai gave us the Torah and the commandments. Two ways we can connect. One, by studying his Torah. Now, what is the Torah? The Torah is the wisdom of God, his wisdom. Now, understand, I mean, God is, is infinite. His wisdom is infinite. How can you put words of... Rabbi Zerkin? Uh, me? Can you hear me? Yes. Can hear okay. you now. Sorry about that. Somebody no problem. Calls. <laughs> okay. So, how can a person, how can a God put his wisdom to, 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 to constrain it into words, to bring it down into a level of words? It's impossible. But, because God is infinite and his abilities are infinite what does he do with those words what does he do with those words he makes this is the wisdom of, of his of his uh, this is his knowledge and what does he do with that he gives us a gift this is an important word god gives us a gift that we can understand the words that he wrote for us to learn because it's impossible for a human being to to read god's mind to understand god's what he's saying so therefore it's a gift that hashem gives us to be able to learn his torah and to understand a little bit and in fact this past uh, shabbos yesterday was actually the shabbos is called the, 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 we read the story of the red heifer, which is in um, Numbers. Now, the story of the red heifer, when, when he initiates the discussion about the red heifer, he says, this is the laws of the, of the Torah. This is the laws of the Torah. What does it mean these are the laws of the Torah? It should say these are the laws of the red heifer. But, and the word, and again, it's important to understand the Hebrew words, it's, it's, it's critical. Words are critical. So it says, Zos chukas haTorah. These are the laws. When we say chukah, the word chukah means there are three kinds of commandments that we have. We have commandments that we do based on logic, you know, not to steal. Okay, so we have a commandment not to steal. But and any logical person understands that you shouldn't be stealing. Okay? Or adultery or idol worship. Any any person on his right mind understands not to do any of these things. So that's one kind of law. Another kind of law that doesn't really make sense in the outset, but Torah gives me a reason for it. For example, the tefillin. He tells me to put on tefillin every day. 
logically it doesn't make sense. Why is Japarans villain? What does it do? But he tells me that I should do it to remove in order for me to remember the laws of the of, of the Lord. Okay, so that's what he so there is some connection, so there's something I can grasp when I say when I put on the villain. But then there's a third category of laws which have no have no explanation whatsoever. One of them is the laws of the red heifer. The red heifer is an amazing event. What happens? The red heifer is meant to purify people that, that are have are impure. That they might have touched a dead body, made them unclean. So what happens? You have to sprinkle the ashes of the cow of the red heifer on this person, and with that, the person becomes clean. But you know what? A, how does that work? How you sprinkle ashes of a, of a of a dead heifer that makes a person clean? Really? How does that work? That's number one. Number two, which is even harder to understand, is it says that the person, the kohen, the priest, that's sprinkling the the ashes on the person makes that guy clean, but the but the kohen, the priest, becomes unclean, which is a shock. How can you have the same item is making you clean but me unclean? Doesn't make any sense. So these are these are laws that we don't understand that explanation for it. That's what it means. These are also known as chukah. It's a chukah. The word chukah also comes from the word engraved. What does it mean engraved? Take something that that you have a stone, make a monument, okay, and you engrave a name on a monument. That mon that stone that name that name that's engraved in in the monument. It becomes one with the stone, and it's inseparable. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have any relationship with the stone. Take a stone, and now you have words on there. Okay, but this is what it means. It becomes so engraved, and that's it. So the same thing is these laws are some. These laws are kind of stuck on on us, and we there's no explanation. There's nothing we can do about it. It's there. Okay. So when it comes to the laws of the red heifer. That's one of those laws that are a chukah that we have no explanation for them. So, but again, what does he? How does he refer to it? He says these are the laws that the word of chukah. This is the laws of the Torah. He doesn't say these are the laws of the red heifer, and it's the context is of the red heifer. Why isn't he saying these are the laws of the red heifer? But the point is that really, the entire Torah is of this magnitude. That it is like a chukah, it is like we don't understand, because we really don't understand it. The little bit, as I said before, is nothing more than a gift that Hashem gives us. He gives us the ability to taste it and say, "Wow, this is really tasty, it's sweet." As as it says in, in Psalm 19, that the Torah is sweet like honey, pure like. Okay, the point is that it's when when I have a you know a child when you give him a lollipop. He wants another lollipop. It's a taste of sweetness. He likes it. He wants more. Okay. If you give him a piece of um, of um, chili um, uh, jalapeno peppers, although some people really enjoy that, but the child is not going to enjoy that because it's bitter to the taste, and you have to build up a a taste for it, and only then can you really appreciate it. 
and as a child, it's too, it's too potent for that child. Okay, the same thing is with our Torah. Our Torah is so potent that we really cannot really um, grasp it completely. But we're giving taste, bits of it that we can taste, and we can try it out, and it works, it tastes good. So I'll go further, and I'll go deeper into studying the Torah. But a person has to understand, really, that when a person learns Torah, and he understands any part of Torah, at whatever level, even, it's all a gift from God. And as such, when God tells Moses to take down these, these tablets, he was trying to give them down, give them something that they can hold on to, something that they can grasp godliness with. They they witnessed God, saw God, but how do you go on with life after that? You can't unless you have something tangible. So God comes down with what? He gives Moses these two tablets to take down to them. But what happens? He sees that they don't want this Torah. They want something else. They want a golden calf. They want something that they can worship, something other than God and Moses. Something totally different. So as a result, those tablets don't belong to us. But, interestingly enough, so it says, there are many commentaries as to what exactly happened over there, whether it actually, he dropped it, he broke it, or is it that it became too heavy? Because still now, it was the word of God, as it says, it's the word of God, uh, engraved on the stone, on the tablets. So if it's the word of God, the word of God is weightless. And therefore, because God has no measure, so there's no, no, no nothing tangible about him. So the, therefore, it didn't it didn't weigh anything. But as soon as God left those tablets, because of what He saw in these people, these tablets became heavy, and Moses couldn't handle it. And as a result, he dropped them. Not that he not that he purposefully dropped them, but he couldn't hold them. He couldn't he can't carry them. It was too heavy for him. And this is what God told them, thank you for breaking them. Because by you breaking them, you gave these people now an opportunity to do teshuva, to repent. And this is an important thing that we, that we have to understand. That God, in his mercy, has given us people the ability to repent. We make mistakes. Yes, we're only human. And God understands we're human. And we'll make mistakes. I mean, even though, even even great people make mistakes. As Ecclesiastes tells us, that there isn't a, there's a righteous person that doesn't sin. That doesn't mean they can't go on and do the right thing. It means that occasionally somebody might fail. And Torah understands that and appreciates the fact that it gives us the opportunity to do what? to come back. Take a look at Ezekiel, Jeremiah, take a look at Isaiah. He tells us all the time, what? Does God want to kill us? No. He wants us to repent from our ways, turn away from our evil doings, and come back to Hashem. That's what he wants of us. So this is at his mercy. He has given us that ability. And you, and you ask, does God give that ability to non-Jews as well as Jews? 
And I'm going to direct your question to the story of Ninveh in the book of Jonah. What happened to Jonah? Jonah was a Jewish prophet. But God sent Jonah to the city of Ninveh, which the city of Ninveh, as is described, is bigger than New York City. Bigger than New York City. And, and it was full of people that were not Jews. There wasn't one Jew living in Ninveh at the time. But God came to Jonah, Jonah and tells Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Ninveh and tell them that they must repent or else I'm going to destroy everybody. Jonah didn't want to do that. You know why? Because <laughs> he said, look, if I go to the city of Ninveh, they'll do tshuva. But my, my brethren, the Jewish boys, they're not ready to do tshuva. The non-Jew is ready to do the tshuva, the repentance. But the Jews are not. So how, how, how am I going to how am I going to show face? So he he ran away. He ran into. That's why he went on that boat. Okay, but then God swallowed. You know, we know the whole story. And ultimately, he went and he went to 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 Nineveh and he told them what God said. And guess what? Guess what? There was no cross there. There was no blood. There was no Calvary. There was no sacrifice. Rather, what did they do? They just, they fasted for three days and nights. They wore sackcloth. And they asked forgiveness. And Hashem forgave them. That's a powerful story. It shows that Hashem even has mercy on the non-Jew. Not only, I, I, I don't mean to say in that way, but what I mean to say is that Hashem looks at every person as his own personal child, his own firstborn child. And when you look at when, when a firstborn child, you hold, you, you adhere them. You, you don't want them to fail. You do whatever you can to make sure that this child this is in every possibility. And this is what Hashem does to every one of his children in the world even if it's the city of Ninveh full of non-Jews and this is what Hashem gave us the, at the time of, of the golden calf he gave us the opportunity to say okay you screwed up okay you, Moses you break it good that's fine I'm glad you broke it because they have to learn a lesson that there's a consequence for their actions but guess what happened after that? Moses went back up to the mountain, up to heaven. And he was there another 40 days and nights. And you know what? God gave him the second set of the tablets. Second set of tablets. And the, the Talmud tells us, Medrash also tells us about this, that in the ark, in the, in the holy temple, the Arnakodesh, there was both the broken pieces of the original tablet as well as the complete tablets. Why? Why, why do we need this broken stone? Well, you can say, well, it's part of God, God gave it to me, so it's like, it's like a precious thing, you know? No, it wasn't about that. But rather, it gives, it shows the two different parts of 
the ability of people. One is the ability of Balchuva, as we discussed many times, the ability that a person has to repent and to, to go, turn away from their evil ways. But at the same time, we have to have another image, and that is of a person that is a tzaddik, and that's a righteous, completely righteous. And that's the two, the two different sets of tablets represent. The complete set of tablets represents the righteous one, and the broken pieces represent the repentance one. And with one without another is invalid. We need to have both elements because there are times when a person, if a person is only a tzaddik, a righteous person, and all he wants is righteousness, and all he's looking at is righteousness, he cannot tolerate when somebody is sinning or when somebody veers a little bit. Therefore, we need to have that other element of the Baal Tshuva, the person that has repented, so that he can he can relate to the person that sometimes deviates. And he can relate to that person in a way that he was there once. And if he can't, and this is what, what King David had to deal with. That's why he says, the sin is in front of my face constantly. Constantly, it's in front of me. What does it mean the sin's in front of me? Didn't we learn in the, in the book of Samuel that he that he was forgiven by Nathan? Nathan, when he came to Nathan, he was forgiven? So why is he saying that the sin is still in front of my face on a daily basis? But the point is that although he did a repentance, but inside he knows that what he did was so heinous. And even though he was he, he was forgiven for his, for his bad, but nonetheless, it, it irked him that he, King David, you know, after all, Mashiach is coming from him. He's going to be a prodigy of, of King David. And yet, he, he had failed. And in fact, we see that when King David wanted to create, to build the temple, God said, you can't. It's not for you. Because you have blood on your hands. Your son, Solomon, he's going to do it. But not you. And that's why primarily the book of Psalms, believe it or not, most of the, the chapters and Psalms are songs that were sung by the Levites in the temple. He created those Psalms for the temple. As well, it says that he cre um, amassed all the wood and stuff for the temple. because And, and gold and all kinds of things he amassed for the temple because he knew he couldn't build it that doesn't mean he can't contribute to it and that he did as much as he could possible because but again it all why couldn't he because of the blood that he had on his hands now so so the ability to be able to forgive is an important thing and this is what the torah gives us that's why we had the, the whole um, uh, uh, event with the with the golden calf to show us that how merciful God could be that despite the harshest thing that we could do in, in the face of God but he in his mercy he can find room for us to still give us room in his world and, and I think that this is an important thing that we should all take a lesson from that we have children we have um relatives or friends that have done wrong to us or that we feel that they are not acting properly yes it might be it might be so 
but we have to be able to find room within ourselves to forgive. The problem is that unfortunately we create this image in God that he can't forgive me for my sins and therefore I'm going to go to hell because I, I he can't forgive me. I've done such bad things. How can he forgive me? But why are we thinking that way? Because we're portraying our God as us. And we're looking at God as he would act the way I would act. If I know if my son did that, 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 or didn't do that, 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 I wouldn't forgive him. So therefore we're portraying that image in God that God can't forgive me. So this is, but, it's, but that's not what it says. It says that God created us in his image, not he was created in our image. That's, I guess, goes back to our initial discussion about that um, person of color, what he was saying, that we have to recognize that we are all created in God's image. And in God's image, God can forgive, and he does forgive on a regular basis. And so do we have to be able to let go of our issues that we have with family members or friends or acquaintances or whatever. And understand that the whole point of the golden calf was to give us that deeper appreciation of what it means to forgive. That's all merit that we all forgive and for, not, I didn't say forget, forgive and be able to appreciate that Hashem will forgive us for our iniquities. And as a result of all that, we will merit that speedily we will see the. The, the coming of the Messiah speedily. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Zirkin. Sure. Um, that was that was terrific. Um, I, I had a question for you, if you have a minute. <clears throat> Go ahead. Um, could you tell me your thoughts on what is the significance of Moshe having to chisel that second set out himself? Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Yes. Again, remember, he is the leader. So the last one, God made. Right. And Moses took it and destroyed it. Granted, God approved of it later. But nonetheless, he. so God said, you know what? I want to give you another one, but I want you to make it. When you make it, you're going to have an, an, an appreciation for what it is. See, as long as I made it, big deal. It's, it's like it's like when you inherit a million dollars, it's like big deal. But when you earn it, it's not a big deal. It's 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 a it's a fantastic thing that you're able to accomplish something. And this is what I think was going on over there. Yeah, that's sort of how I I felt that it would be somehow infused into him in the process more so right. than before. Also, I just want to point out that this particular uh, Parsha reading, you know, is very significant for somebody like myself, because in it, we really um, are able to see that um, the, the differentiation of the stranger, Ger, and the sojourner, the Ger Toshav, clearly two different categories in you know, in these readings and numbers. And I just think that, you know, that's very significant for somebody uh, like myself who's not Jewish and, 
I urge uh, other people to just, you know, go, go back through it and really read it and see the differentiation and um, where we sort of fit in, as you said. Right. Absolutely. Does anybody have any questions or comments for Rabbi Zirkind? Yeah, this is Mark here on the line. Um, in reference to the Assert Debros, today we actually have a movement here in the United States and maybe elsewhere, what they call the cancel culture, which not only wants to eliminate uh, the uh, 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 tradition, but uproot anything that even uh, speaks of tradition or remove in the first place, because they want to completely reverse it. And my concern is that eventually they're going to be coming right to the point of Assert Debros itself, and they want to undo, well, if you know what I mean, do everything that's opposite to it. So my question is, how do we defend our, uh, the, our values, you know, uh, you know, the decency as human beings and all that uh, in light of this um, movement? Because they're already trying to eliminate food, literature, anything that we uphold dearly and all that. Do you have any comments on that? Thank you. Well, the only comment is that the Almighty God is aware of this movement. And the Almighty God allows this movement to exist. And the Almighty God will make sure to preserve what, we, what is dear to us. Let's take a look at for a, a thing in history, an event in history. There was a Holocaust, okay? God forbid. And there were many millions of people that were killed. Many billion Jews were killed. And the intent back then was to annihilate every single Jew. We had the same thing in the time of Pharaoh. We had the same thing in the time of Haman. They wanted to annihilate men, woman, and child in one day. Okay? But yet, in God's mercy, he made sure that we exist. And Hashem has said, told us many times in the, in the scriptures that although you might have veered away from the path, and I'm just going to destroy a lot of you, but I'm not going to destroy everyone. There'll be a remnant that will always be here. And this is the same thing as with the, com the commandments. Hashem will make sure that what he wants is going to stay. No matter how strong the, the movements are or the influences are, Hashem, in his mercy, he knows what he has to do to make it work. And he will. I saw an interesting. Okay. Thank you. Uh, saw an interesting little story today. Um, many of you know uh, Hanach Keller. Um, he's a, a, a an author, storyteller, and he, he recounts a time that he was uh, accosted by a, a um, individual from Germany, and he was uh, castigating Hanach for the fact that he had. 18 children, which he does. Uh, and he said, how can you justify having 18 children when we have so many problems with uh, food and water and, uh, you know, overpopulation? And Hanach uh, said to him, uh, you know, that's an interesting thought. And um, when I get 6 million children, then I'll give it even more thought. <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Okay. Else? Very good. Any any other comments? Well, appreciate your time today, and um, it's a it was a great parsha, and there's so much in it. Um, yeah. There's just there's a lot. You want to almost stay on that for for a, a while longer, but we look yep. forward to um, the coming week. Uh, God willing, it's a healthy and safe one for everyone and welcome you uh, back next week. Um, love to have you. Thank you all. All right. Thanks, guys. Shavuot. Okay. What's up? Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a good week. Thank you, Everybody. Mark Powers. Yep. You have a good week, too. Thanks. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Alrighty. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.